If you're listening to us on online or on your iPod, thank you for joining us. A few weeks ago, I began to chat about some of the challenges that evangelists face. Uh, evangelism not being something for someone else, but something for all of us. And uh, I, I enjoy preaching about that. I thought I'd preach about it again. And because I think there's a bit more to say, of course, as there always is on all these subjects. So uh, this morning, I want to encourage you uh, just for a few minutes uh, along the theme of uh, the work of evangelism. And uh, last time we looked at evangelism in the life of Paul and how he, uh, we were over in uh, 2 Corinthians and how he wanted to keep the message right and he wanted to use good methods and he sometimes felt like he was going to lose heart. And if you want to hear it, you can, of course, download that particular message. Today I want to talk from the Gospel of Luke. And so I'm going to read... Uh, a portion of this, chapter 10, and then we'll just share a few thoughts this morning to encourage every one of us in the work of evangelism. And at the time of recording this, we are just about to hit Christmas time, and um, it's important for us to be active as evangelists. And, um, and there's opportunities to invite people to things at this time that maybe they wouldn't come to at other times. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, uh, the Lord, and that's the Lord Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you like I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. He's not telling them to be rude, he's saying it's urgent. And verse 5 When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. By the way, I do this in every house that I visit. He says, verse 7, Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you, uh, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. You will go down to Hades. He who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Amen. Father, may you add your blessing to this reading. And may, Lord, we be encouraged together as we think about the great work of winning souls for Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Very simply, what do we learn just from the reading I've brought today? What? What are some of the things that maybe we can apply to ourselves and to our, our lives in regard to the work of evangelism? Let's begin. First of all, it can be a lonely job. Uh, Jesus begins his, this chapter by saying, you know, uh, people who want to do this are few. The harvest is plentiful, uh, but the laborers are few. Uh, it's, it's amazing how um, a conference called Glory, Anointing, on, Honor, and Power Impartation, you can charge £50 for that for a day, and it'll be full. But if you have a conference called Martyrdom for Jesus and Free Entry, you only get about three people come. And one of them is on the overhead projector. Uh, It's amazing how certain things are more popular than others. Uh, If we talked about uh, tonight, we're going to have a time of impartation, then, uh, or we're going to have a time of healing. You know, people get excited about that. You say we're going to go and do some evangelism. Uh, People think, well, I I, I think actually the Lord may be calling me to do something else tonight. It's a scary thing. It can be a lonely job. Jesus said, you know, uh, it's... The work is vast. Now, there were times, of course, when Jesus withdrew to lonely places and he once said to the disciples, you're doing too much, you need to rest. And so I'm not suggesting that we have to be on the job all the time. There are times to rest. But but generally speaking, uh, we're not really uh, civilians in this regard. We are in the military. And uh, when you are in the military, you are, you know, it's a pretty full-time thing to do. 
We're not civilians. You're not a civilian, even if you don't like that um, idea. You're not a civilian. You are uh, filled with the Spirit and charged by God to share the good news with others. You'll find, though, that if you want to do that, you'll find yourself a little bit lonely. You'll find yourself uh, a little um, ostracized by others who may think you a little strange. It's interesting that Jesus, when sending out his disciples, did not send them out on their own, but in fact in, in uh, you know, uh, two by two. And there is a sense of mutual encouragement that comes uh, uh, when we work um, together. So evangelism can be uh, a little lonely. You can be, feel a little bit on your own. And I want to encourage you that actually if you have a heart for evangelism, I want to encourage you that it is everyone else in the church that is strange, not you. Because we have a commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And, but because we find in the, in the body of Christ, and Jesus said it long before even the church came into existence, he said, the laborers are going to be few. There's a, there's a promise for you. He, so, so there's a sense in which this is going to be the status quo. Therefore, if you want to win people for the Lord, you should get around other people who think a bit like you for mutual encouragement. Uh, Don't get around people who don't want to win others for the Lord. You you want to get around people who believe that the church is a hospital for sinners. Don't get around people who think that the church is a hotel for saints. Can I say that again? You want to get around people who, uh, who understand that the church, the kingdom of God, is a hospital for sinners. It's not a hotel for saints. Amen. So get around people who think like that. It can be a bit lonely, that's the first thing. But rejoice, there's always someone to stand with you. Number two, we note that miracles are in the deal, as it were. Jesus says, I don't want you just to go and talk to these people, I want you to go and demonstrate the power of the Spirit in these cities. He tells them very nonchalantly, okay, here are the things to do. You know, don't take a bag, don't talk to anyone on the road, eat whatever they give you, heal the sick, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, tell them the kingdom of God is near. And in our minds, healing the sick kind of is like, is a, is a big deal. For Jesus, it wasn't. It was the most natural thing for the disciples to do, to go and to heal the sick. Of course, we have barriers where we have, sometimes we have a lack of faith. We don't believe God wants to do it. Uh, but but we, need to, we need to overcome those. Uh, today, I have the privilege of doing a bit of traveling around, and I do uh, sort of healing meetings. Whether that's what they really should be called, I don't know, but that's what we tend to do. But long, long time ago, long before I ever had a microphone in my hand, I would, uh, I used to go t- um, um, to work and I would sit in the staff room and there I was working in this tourist uh, um, center. And of course, quite often, the, the members of staff would be ill. And I, I was always looking forward to the thought they might be ill because then I could pray for them. And uh, so, for, so um, quite often, I remember the first time that I dared 
to pray for someone ill in the staff room of this, of this workplace. And again, it was a bit lonely, you know, because in the church I was attending, I didn't know anyone else in the church who was doing this. It was kind of, it was, you know, maybe there were, but it felt a bit lonely. I felt like I was the, I was the nutter. You know, I, was the mad, I was the mad guy. Everyone else just, you know, slipped little black and white tracks under the coffee mat. Here I was praying for the sick. I remember the first time a, a girl, she was, she was called um, Maria, and uh, Maria Padellino was her name. And uh, she was a member of staff with me. She had a oh, terrible headache, migraine headache. And so I just went for it, you know. I put my hand upon her and God healed her straight away. And she went around, and you see, this is what I wasn't expecting. I expected God maybe to heal her, maybe to heal her in about half an hour, or maybe she'll feel better by Friday. But he healed her straight away, and what I didn't expect was that she would run around the entire staff uh, campus telling everyone, Peter just put his hand on me and I'm better. I felt a bit well, it wasn't me, Gov, nothing to do with me. And I'm thinking, you know, what will the boss think of that? Is that against the rules, you know, here? But, you know, it was amazing what fruit it bore. Uh, um, um, a few months later, a lady came to, oh, I've got a problem with my neck and my, my shoulders. This is just at work, you know. There's no, there's no choir singing. There's, there's, there's no atmosphere. There's no anointing, you know. By that, I mean an atmosphere, feeling anything. We're not supposed to feel anything except compassion. Can you say amen? So if we feel compassion, I tell you, um, 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 God will use us. So I remember praying for her and God... Uh, I didn't know whether he'd healed her or not. She told me a few few days later, oh, I'm so much better. And then all sorts of people started coming. A lady from the box office comes to the staff room, I've come for prayer. I thought, what's going on? But it all, and God, and God uh, healed that girl dramatically. Her name was Tina, and he healed her dramatically. So, I'm, so what I'm saying is, the miracles are, they are in the deal. And I, I think sometimes... We're looking to see great miracles happening in church when actually the, the real arena for miracles is probably outside of church buildings. The, if you look at the miracles performed by Jesus in the Gospels, they, there's a few of them that happen in the synagogue. Uh, there's one or two that happen in the temple courts, but they don't really happen in the context of church. The miracles of Jesus happen in the context of the street, in the context of being in, in somebody's home or being at a drunken Polish reunion party. I remember on that particular trip, Pastor Paul took me to uh, uh, um, someone's home and uh, I've told the story many times out and about, maybe I've not told it here so much, a lady there brought me her son. He had epilepsy. I prayed for him. He's 40 years old. I didn't know if he was healed of epilepsy or not. Of course, you can't test that out. And uh, so I said, is anyone else here ill? And the mother of this young man, he's 40 young. Oh, man, it is. Yes. And um, she had problem in her legs. And I remember I got really bold, you know, I think either... It was the Holy Spirit, or I knew that the following day I was flying out of the country. It was one or the other. And I just pointed at her legs and said, you know, be free. Or I think I said, I release you from this. And the power of God hit those legs of hers, and she started dancing around the room. She went to a drawer, pulled it open, grabbed a whole load of money, and tried to pay me for the miracle. Miracles are in the deal. 
You see, God wants to show people that he's real. And you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to have been to the right meeting, had the right person lay his hands upon you. You don't have to have some special gift. What you need to have is compassion. I've said it many times, but I believe that gifts of the Spirit like this are a bit like equipment that you can only get at work. Uh, Let's imagine a work scenario. Maybe this will really help you. Imagine a work scenario where you're not allowed to take your, your stuff home. Like, for example, I worked for years inside caves, right? So we had a torch and used to pray it would work. And, um, but I, I had a torch. And when I went into the cave, I took a torch. But you know what? I, I wasn't allowed to take the torch home. The, the key to the door, I could take home. But the torch, I wasn't allowed to take home. When I got to work, I picked up the equipment. And sometimes it's in the context of going to work that we pick up the equipment in the spirit. I I know all sorts of people who pray, oh God, please give me the gift of healing. But they're not actually prepared to talk to anyone about Jesus. And they don't have really any great compassion for the sick. If you can capture a desire to talk to people about Jesus, if you can capture a compassion for the sick... Those healing gifts will come to you faster than if you prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. It's the act of going to work that enables you to pick up the equipment for the job. You don't go to work, you don't get the equipment. So miracles are in the deal. But here's something, so that's the good news. Here's maybe a little bit of the bad news. They don't always clinch the deal. What did Jesus say to them? Woe to you. Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, verse 13. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. In other words, he's saying this, that great miracles occurred in Chorazin and Bethsaida, their sort of northern Galilee areas. But in fact, when the people saw the miracles, they didn't become Christians. Can I say that again? When the people saw the miracles, they didn't become Christians. It's very, very clear, isn't it, there? He said, if only those miracles had happened in that city, they would have repented, but you didn't repent when you saw the miracles. So I think that, I think I'm just saying, I think we need to have a little bit of a balance here. All of those people at that tourist place, all those people at that cave that were cured, uh, a number of them, came to church. I remember one time leading a meeting and a whole row of them were in the church. I happened to be leading that uh, particular meeting. I'd just begun in the ministry. And when you begin in the ministry, can I I let you into a little secret what they do? They don't let you preach. They just let you lead everything. I never led a thing in my life. But there I was leading this thing and there was a whole row of people from work interested enough to come But I tell you, those folks who were cured, they just thought it was wonderful, but it didn't go into their hearts, you see. So we need to have a bit of a balance with this. We pray for the sick because we are moved by the mercy of Jesus. We pray for the sick because we're commanded to. We pray for the sick because we believe God is a healer of the sick. But not all of them 
Not all of those people will go, wow, I've had a miracle. What time's your church service? Not all of them will. We are far enough down the track now to talk about events that happened here in, I don't know, 2005 or whenever it was. And uh, uh, we, there were signs and wonders breaking out along the front and the newspapers were in. Some of you were here for this, uh, but many of you were not. And uh, we got ourselves on the front cover uh, of the evening news in a three-page spread, color pictures, a lovely shot of Phil on the front cover of the paper. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know, was I upset about that? They called him Pastor Philip, you know. I said, I wasn't upset about that. I said, the Satanists know who to assassinate now. Uh, Anyway, they're very bad shots. But, but I remember, Phil will remember this too, we, we came down here and we just know that 20,000 odd people have just read about miracles happening in here. We saw a man stumbling over looking at the notice board, what time's the services? I thought, oh my goodness me. And we were working out, Phil will remember this, how many seats we could get in here, how full it could be. We're thinking thousands are coming. No, they didn't come. They didn't come. Because as much as it was amazing, and, and it was, and as much as people... Many people would have believed it. It didn't make them get up Sunday morning and uh, come. So miracles are in the deal. They don't always clinch it. But if you're going to be an evangelist, pray for the sick. Pray for the sick. God will heal people. Number three, remember that people are rejecting Jesus, not you. I think this is, isn't this why people stop engaging in evangelism? Because of the huge level of rejection they can feel. I've shared this before, but I remember, you know, when I came to Christ when I was 18, I just expected everybody I spoke to to come to Christ. I used to sit in pubs with them, and uh, I would go to the pub where I was before, but this time now I'm going as an evangelist, and and I just shared what God had done for me. I expected every one of them to fall on their knees and, you know, Beg me for a Bible. I really did. I thought, they're all coming. They're all coming in. And they didn't come in. And I was staggered, you know. Staggered. And I think that when somebody gets freshly converted, this is their story. They, they, they become very uh, keen to share their faith. Or when something fresh happens in your life. I remember being in Brixham last year. And I laid hands upon a girl who was deaf and her ears opened. I was so excited. I ran out into the street. All the other people in the church, they just went home to go and watch something on TV. But I ran out into the street. Me. And I was the preacher, you know. But I ran out into the street. And I was telling people, Jesus has just opened up a deaf girl's ears. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I jumped on a bus. I didn't even want to get on the bus. I just jumped on it. I said, a girl has just been healed of deafness in that hall. Oh, that's nice. Where do you want to go, Gov? Shall I take you to the clinic? I remember, um, uh, I, I mean, I, I had a car. I just jumped on the bus, jumped off. I got in my car. I thought, I'm stopping for petrol. Because I'm going to tell everyone in the garage that Jesus has just healed someone in that hall. So I stopped for fuel and maybe a Twix. And um, 
there I am. And I said, do you know what I've just seen? I'm, there, I'm telling everyone what I've just seen. So there are times when we, we can be renewed. And we want to share our faith. And if you're not in that place now, you ask God to give you that. But the truth is that what tends to happen is we get enough rejection to make us go, well, actually, maybe I won't give this evangelism thing much of a much time in my life. But I might hold back on this because people aren't believing me. They think I'm crazy. You must remember the truth of what Jesus said. He said to them, he who rejects you is rejecting me. He who is rejecting me is rejecting my father. It's not us they're rejecting. It's God. Now, uh, uh, we need to be a little bit uh, careful with this. If you burst into work tomorrow, speaking in tongues all day, I promise you they're rejecting you. (laughs) If you show up and say, I'm sorry I'm an hour late. But I've just been talking to the angel Gabriel. They are rejecting you. I had a friend. He was a lovely Christian man. Super Christian man. And he was a security guard. A security guard. Say it with me. Yeah. They need to be alert, don't they? Normally. But he read his Bible all day. I don't know how many times that place was robbed and... He's just reading his Bible in the foyer all the time. You'd go in there and he'd say, oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm just having a bit of trouble with Jeremiah. He'd say, you need to pray for me because the the boss thinks that I'm not very good. And I'm thinking, well, I think you're not very good. (laughs) Amen. So if you're going to behave weird... They are going to reject you. Don't walk into the office and be slain in the spirit. (laughs) They're rejecting you. They're rejecting you. Right? But if you go with the gospel, with compassion in your heart, you go with a clear mandate from God, I'm going to try to share my faith with others and they reject you. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And we have to get this in our, in our heads. Sometimes it amazes me that we as Christians don't even have the courage that politicians have. Politicians go around with their color, you know, a rosette, blue, red, yellow, whatever, green, whatever. And they walk around, don't they? Showing their, putting their colors to the mast, knowing that a good 70% of the people they're going to meet don't like them. They don't like that color, whatever color it is. It amazes me they dare to go on the doors and talk to, I'm talking about politicians now or, or people who work for political parties. And yet they, they're not ashamed of it because they're motivated by their cause. I think we should be the same. People are rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you. But it's so interesting what Jesus says. He says, if the town welcomes you, he said to them, 
then by all means, eat and drink and stay there. Have a wonderful time and speak peace upon it. But he says something very interesting that I don't often hear or see being done today. He says in verse 10, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, he doesn't say if. If you look at verse 10, he doesn't say if you enter a town or not. He says when it is going to happen. When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Hmm. Have you ever seen that happen? In the middle of Southampton? <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm off to Brighton. But before I go, <laughs> I never saw that. Mind you, if anyone did that, they might be rejecting them. Actually, there's a little thought here. You see, the idea is that everywhere you go, your feet will be washed for you. Here, they're saying, My, our feet are not washed. You see, that, that's sort of part of what this is about. Our feet have not been, we've not been welcomed here. So we have dust on our feet. Well, I don't know how many times we should go into Cambridge Market and do that. But one thing that this does teach us, and please put your seatbelt on and just hear me, there is a time to give up. Now, I know this is not very palatable. It's not very easy. And uh, by the way, how we work out when the time to give up is and isn't uh, is, is open to much debate. But Jesus says to them, If you're not welcomed, he doesn't say, stay for five years until you are. Because the work is urgent. That's what all that stuff is about at the beginning. Don't talk to anyone on the road. He doesn't mean, you know, someone says, "Um, hello, good morning, I'm not talking to you, I'm a Christian. He means you've got to go, 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 go. There's no time to stop and chat for 20 minutes on the street. Go, 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 go. That's what he means. Essentially, what he's saying is that their work was urgent, you see. They have to go. They have to go. They have to go. They have to go to this place and this place and this place and this place. So what he's saying to them is, if you're not welcomed, go somewhere else. Quickly. Go somewhere else quickly. Now today, some folks, if they weren't welcomed, they would set up an intercessory committee. They would uh, stay for 20 years and work the ground until it was fruitful. Now, let's be clear. Of course, there is actually a place to do that. There's actually a place to say, do you know what? God has given this city to us. We are going to preach the gospel and we're going to drive the devil out of this place. So there is, there is a place to do that, of course. But now let's become a bit more individualistic. What about certain individuals? You see, it's almost as though you can spend your time trying to win one person who will not come when you could give your time to another ten people and maybe three of them will come into the kingdom of God. Do you, do you understand what I mean? That we can actually be ensnared, pouring ourselves into stony ground. 
When in fact, the good soil is just over here. I remember many years ago, I never thought I'd share this story, but I remember being with a, a group of young people and we were preaching in a village. We were going door to door. Uh, maybe preaching is not the right word. We were sharing our faith and trying to bring, invite people to an event. And as we were talking to different people, eventually a man stopped us in the street and he began talking to us. Now, if you're an evangelist, the one thing you love is people to talk to you. So in one sense, this was marvelous. A man is talking to us. So we're there with him. Now, this is a subjective anecdote story. I appreciate that. But I believe what happened while we were talking to him, I believe I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, leave him. Leave him. He's wasting your time. And in fact, that's exactly what he was doing. Wasting our time. He wasn't interested in the event. He just wanted to moan about how awful churches were and all of the. And we had other people to go and invite. There's a time. There's a time to call time on certain people. Now what is difficult is we have members of our family that we're trying to reach. And of course, there's, there is something in us that of course says, I'm never going to give up on these people. And I think that's a good and godly thing. And so I'm not suggesting that we should give up. But there is a time actually to take a break maybe from them. And say, do you know what? I, I, I'm not getting anywhere at the moment. Maybe I'll do better maybe a year from now. Or maybe I'll do a bit better when so-and-so is a little older or a little more mature. Especially you're trying to reach your kids or something, you see. Maybe when they're a little older, there'll be a better time to clinch the deal. Jesus said, if they're not wanting you, move on. And I think there are times when we need to be sensitive to maybe do that. At least for a period of time, anyway. Finally, as evangelists, as people who try to share our faith, just very quickly as we close, we need to learn to rejoice in God's loving acceptance of us. If you're going to truly be an evangelist, if you're going to do the work of an evangelist, as the Bible tells us to do, you're going to find, as we said last time, lots of people aren't going to want to know They're not going to want to buy the product that we're selling. We mustn't change the product. We bring the gospel and nothing else. Don't throw in an alarm clock and a free pen if you sign up today. Don't tell them that they're all going to be healed and they're going to have lots of money. That is not necessarily the case at all. We preach the gospel. God wants to forgive people their sins. But if you're going to be an evangelist, you're going to find, especially if you're preaching in a backslidden nation, that actually lots of people don't actually want to know. There'll be an enormous resistance to your message. And that's why you have to rejoice in God's loving acceptance of you. In the passage, the disciples return to Jesus having had some success. Because they say to him, Lord, even the demons 
submitted to us. Verse 17. It's like they come back and a bit like me going away on a weekend preaching somewhere, come back and saying, oh, the lady was healed of fibromyalgia, deaf manhood. You, you, you come and you tell your story and this is what they did. They come back, Lord, it, it went well, you know, it went well. It, it worked. And the reason why they're so amazed at this is because just one chapter back, we find that there was a demon they couldn't cast out. See? So that's the context of it. That boy who wouldn't be delivered by them. Only Jesus could deal with that. So here they were thrilled because what hadn't worked suddenly had worked. So they were used to it going wrong. They were used to seeing fruitlessness. And now they were fruitful. It's, but it's like Jesus says, do you know, fellas, it sort of doesn't matter. What matters is that your names are written in heaven. It's not really about what you're doing. It's about who you are. We can return to God at the end of 2009 and say, Lord, I expended all my time in this and this and this. But Lord, there was just no fruit or not what I wanted. Like the disciples over in Luke 5, Lord, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Or you can come to the end of 2009 and say, Lord, I expended my time in the gospel and this is what happened. It was amazing. This person in my family has come on with the Lord. This person came to Christ at my workplace. I was able to share with this person, and they're not quite a Christian yet, but boy, oh boy, they're thinking about it. But in whatever way we come to God, God is thrilled with us either way. Because what, was, what was, was not really important to Jesus was whether demons were coming out of people at their word. Whether the people were receiving their words or not. What was really important was that those men belonged to him. He loved them. And he had written their, their names in his book. There's nothing for you to achieve if you're going to pick up the mantle of evangelism in a backslidden European country, you're going to need to know that God is crazy about you whether you succeed or not. You're going to need to know that. You're going to need to know that actually it's not about results because the results are only with God. As we saw in our last session on this, it's only God who can open blind eyes. No, we must rejoice that whether we feel successful or a failure, whether we feel like we've really cracked it or we feel like we've barely begun, that actually the thing we rejoice about is that our name is written in heaven. So I finish. Just my simple thoughts 
to encourage you in the, in the work of evangelism. Number one, can be a bit lonely, but let me assure you, it's everyone else in the church who's crazy, not you, because you've understood the work of the Great Commission. Number two, there are miracles available for you. Pray for people. See incredible results. Don't be too surprised, though, if they don't want to get saved even after they've been healed. That was quite normal even in the Bible days. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't minister in the miraculous. You should do that. And if you're going to go to work, you'll be able to use the tools for the job. Number three, remember that people reject the gospel. They are not rejecting you, most times anyway. They're rejecting God. And there are times when we may need to use our resources and our time and energies on someone else if we're finding that we're hitting stony ground all the time. Occasionally, it's good to move on and to, and to give up. And finally, remember that what's really important is not what you're doing, but who you are and whose you are. Let's stand together.